One more time. Good morning. Welcome. I am so glad you are here today. Give a good shout out and welcome to the New Hope Garner community. Glad you guys are over there. Those checking us out via the internet or our internet campus, that whole virtual community. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are in a series called Fit to be Tied, part two. Hey, open up your Bibles. Let me go and tell you first, go ahead and turn to Romans. And as you're finding that, I just kind of want to set the scene, the context for where we are going today. Uh, take out your teaching notes. Uh, you want to follow along today, guys. Help you take some notes. That's in your bulletin, by the way. If you're not familiar with that, tear that out. There is a pen in front of you. That is for you to take notes. Again, thank you for being here. Honored that you would come out on a beautiful Sunday morning. Hey, uh, for those of you who weren't here last week, I'm going to refer to last week's message some. If you want it, you can pick it up in the Resource Center, by the way. But the key theme that we hit on last week, just kind of by way of review was this theme, you'll see it on the screen, to really be fulfilled and find your purpose, meaning, and contentment in life, you have to find what? The one. And the one, as we talked about earlier, is Jesus. Today, though, we're going to start talking about finding the two. For those of you who are single... How are you going to find the two? I said last week, I looked for the day that some single person in our church will come up and say, Oh, I found him. I found her. They look good. They even smell good. They act good. They're great. I love their parents. I think I found number two. Let's talk about that today. Finding number two. For those of you who might be divorced or single or parents teaching your kids about this. This is really, really important stuff to talk to our kids about. I want to talk to you about finding Number two, and here's how the story normally goes. Tell me, if, tell me if this is close. Boy meets girl. Boy likes girl. Boy looks good, smells good, acts good. Boy says, I think I'm going to ask her out on a date. Boy asks her out on the date. Girl thinks he looks good, acts good, doesn't smell so bad. I think I'm going to say yeah. They go out on the date. Boy takes girl out to a restaurant. Girl places her order, and it is way too high of an entree. The boy takes a gulp. Yikes. Pays anyway. They go to a movie. Later on in the movie, they're watching, and he does, as I alluded to earlier, the slide. A little arm around. Movie's over. They haven't watched hardly any of it or thought about it. They're thinking about each other. He drops her off at the apartment, and she says, hey, why don't you come on up? He goes up to the apartment. They sit on the bed. They look into each other's eyes, all googly-eyed. He tilts his head to the right. She tilts her head to the right. They start swapping some saliva. And they go to first base, second base, third base, score. They date for a while. Boy eventually drops girl. Girl's on the rebound. Girl finds another boy. The same scenario happens over and over and over again. The guy, over and over and over again until one day it gets a little better and they think this is my life partner. They get married. 
And before long, he drops her or she drops him with a divorce. Gross, gross oversimplification, I know. But is it not true and does it not happen time and time and time and time and time again? Could it be? Could it be that God wants more for his people? Could it be that God wants more for you, single person? More for you, married person? More for you, divorced person? Could it be that God's ways are higher than our ways and He wants so much more for you? If you're taking notes, write this down. If you want something that you've never had, you must do something that you've never done. Because, guys, here's the deal marriage is on the ropes. 50% of them fail, I hear. It's now moving toward 51%. 51% of the marriages fail. And if you want to go that route, if you want what everyone else is doing, then go the same road that everyone else is going. But if you don't, if you want to tap into the ways and the things that God wants for your life, the blessings, then you've got to do something that you've never done. You've got to take a different path. And some of you are going to be looking at me today and you're going to do this. And you're going to think, Benji, that's not normal. Bingo! Because I don't want normal. Do you want normal? What's normal when we talk about our finances? Come on, what's normal in our culture? Debt. What's normal when we talk about marriages? Divorce, or, 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 this might be some of you, miserable marriage. We're just staying in it because the kids are still around. But when the kids get out of school, it's bye-bye, baby. I don't want normal for you, beloved, as your pastor. I, I, I love you guys. I don't want normal for you. I don't want normal for me. If you want something that you've never had, you must do something that you've never done. The Bible says this in Romans 12, verse 2. Let's read it out loud like it is the word of the Lord. Are we ready? Say amen. Go. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be by the renewing of your... Do not conform to the normal. There is a normal out there, and normal will jack you up. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be what? transformed by the renewing of your mind. I love how the New Living Translation puts it. Let's look at this in the New Living Translation. Ready? Go. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God into a new person by changing the way... What a great, great verse. We don't want normal. We want... God's best for our relationships. I don't want to have anything to do with normal. I've seen there, seen that, been there, done that. Who wants to do that? Look at what 1 Corinthians 3.18 says. Stop fooling yourselves. If you think you are wise by what? This world's standards, you will have to become a what? Come on. So that you can become wise by God's standards. What I'm asking you to do, guys is to actually kind of become a fool in the world's standards. Like, I don't know about you, I want to be a fool for Christ. 
Paul would say later in the New Testament, he, he would say later, we are fools for Christ. Anybody else in here want to be a fool for Christ with me? Like, I don't want to be wise in the world's standards. I've seen that. The result is destruction and death. I don't want that for me. I don't want that for my wife. I don't want that for my children. And I don't want it for you. I want to be a fool for Christ and tap into what God has in store for me. So if you've got your teaching notes, look at what I say there. I want to talk to you single person. I'll get to the married people later about some higher standards, some ways in which the world will look at you like you're a fool, but will be the key that opens up the door to your life of blessings in terms of your relationships and in terms of your sexuality and in terms of your marriage. I want to talk to you about areas in which we will have higher standards. Here's the first one. I'll have a higher standard regarding who I'll, write in the word date, who I'll Date, I will have a higher standard for who I'll see, who I'll court, who I'll go out with. I will have a standard. Because, guys, here's what I tried to say last week, but let me just repeat it. There's nothing sweeter, nothing sweeter in life than a godly woman. Amen, men? You married people that have women beside you, you you should say stronger than that. Amen. Amen, men? (laughs) But... (laughs) <laughs> but <laughs> but just like a godly woman will bless your life, an ungodly woman will jack you up, guys. It will mess you up. We had a, we had a guy in the earlier service today, he, he actually wanted to get up and testify. <laughs> he wanted to come on stage and testify how an ungodly woman will jack you No, 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 you got to stay there. <laughs> none of that, none of that around here. Who I'll date, it's very, very important. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians 6.14. Look at what it says. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Now some of you 21st century people never put a foot on a farm. Might not know what a yoke is. Some of you do. But a yoke is a wood beam. And the wood beam would have two humps in it for two animals. And the Bible says you wouldn't yoke a a donkey and an ox together. I mean, you just wouldn't do that. That's not wise. I like how the King Jimmy says it. You wouldn't put together a, an ox and an ass. Apply that how you will. I'm just saying. <laughs> but, but the Bible says you would not put these two animals that are so, so different together. It would be absolutely cruel to them. One is known as a clean animal. One is known as an unclean. One is bigger. One is smaller. They're going to go in different directions. They will not work together well. So single person or divorced person. The Bible says very clearly, it's unhealthy, it's cruel, and it's just downright unwise to be yoked together if you're a believer. I'm talking with an unbeliever. Parents, you've got to teach your kids this stuff. It is not wise. Ladies, you say, but you don't understand. Pastor, he's got a six-pack. You won't give a flying flip about the six-pack when you've got to rush your kid to the doctor for an emergency surgery. It's a train wreck. I I could open up the mic and so many people, guys, could come up here right now and tell you of the mistake they made with breaking this biblical principle. 
trouble, you think you like the six-pack, and guys, you think you like her because she is hot, whatever. And some of you go, oh, oh, but pastor, I'm still going to date her because here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to change him. What are you smoking? It never happens. You will not change him. You will not change her. And trouble comes from day one if you break this principle, single or divorced person. You break it, it will mess you up. Immediately you'll start uh, encountering struggles with your finances because as a believer, you're going to want to honor God with the biblical tithe and bless God and God's movement. You're going, to want to, you're going to want to raise your kids in the church. And he or she is not. You're going to have certain values and principles. You will inevitably end up by a graveside or in a hospital room and one of you will be sick or a child will be sick and you're worlds away when you go getting yoked with an unbeliever. You say, well, how will you know, Pastor? How will I know if they are a believer? I told you last week, give credit where credit's due. I read Craig Rochelle's book on marriage, and it's just really impacted a lot of this series. Craig, Craig goes so far as to say this. I'm not sure I would agree completely, but I'm close. Craig goes so far as to say this. When you're dating somebody, when you start that relationship and you strike up that conversation, you will know within 30 minutes, 30 minutes, he says, of whether someone is a believer or not. I think he's got a good point. Often you will. I wouldn't get so dogmatic to say that, you know, you will always know. And if not, just drop the person right there in the conversation, the relationship. No, but I will say this. By the time the first date is over or the second date, at least. You will know if they're a Christ follower. I mean, guys, they'll say it. I mean, think about you when you have a conversation, when you meet somebody. Tell me this is not true. When you meet somebody, you're at a party or whatever, and you meet somebody, or you're at work and you meet somebody. As the conversation unfolds, inevitably the people in the conversation massage and manipulate the conversation to talk about what's important to them. Yeah, man, you went to UNC? Yeah! I went to UNC, man, graduated in 1981. It wasn't, yeah, they won a national championship. Michael Jordan years, whatever. Man, Michael Jordan was there. It was awesome. Or I'm in, I'm in pre-med, I'm at Duke, and I love it, and I'm going to graduate, and I think I'm going to stay in this area. Or I've got three kids, and how many you got? Inevitably, people talk about that which is important to them. Agreed? 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 Absolutely. And so if you're dating somebody, if Jesus Christ is important to them, you will hear about that early on. You will You cannot be a fully devoted Christ follower with Jesus having changed your entire life, forgiven you of your sin, written your name in the Lamb's book of life. If all of that is true, you can't keep that quiet. You have to, especially if you're thinking about spending the rest of your life with this person or entering into a dating relationship with this person, there's no way you're going to have that conversation without massaging it and manipulating it. And bringing it around to, man, I love Jesus. Or I've got this relationship with Christ and he has saved my life. Or I go to this great, great church. You get the conversation to that point. And the person you're interested in will. 
And you say, well, pastor, I hear you, but like, I don't even do that. That might be a problem. That might cause you to go, ooh, inventory, gut check time. Am I really a Christ follower? Like, am I really, you, you know, you're looking at me. Some of you are looking at me like. <laughs> See, like, like I'm, I, the more times I get you to look at me like that today, the more I think I'm, I'm right on. Because, guys, listen, listen, listen. I know this is not normal. You say, well, pastor, that's just preacher talk. That's just fanatical talk. No, that is not. That is Christ following talk. That is being sold out to Jesus. That is Jesus being, what did I say last week? What did I say, huh? Jesus is what? Number one. If someone is number one in your life, beloved, you can't help but talk about him. Particularly if you're talking about dating this person and having a relationship with him or her. I told you last week um, how I pushed Pauls on dating for, I don't know, it was around two and a half, three years, something like that. I just pushed Pauls. I was so fed up with dating. And God did a great work in my life. And I had to then get to a point where I was perfectly content with number one. And some of you probably need to do that. And, and I told you I was kind of embarrassed to say it, but I had that kind of vulnerable moment where I said, you know, this I know sounds cheesy and stupid and I'm a little embarrassed, but I would like to have date nights with God. Seriously, if you weren't here, I talked about that. And so I stopped going out on dates on Saturday night, and I would just stay at home all by myself, reading the Bible and praying. And I'd get up every single day at 5 a.m., and I did all that stuff. And it was a conscious decision. As I entered into the University of South Carolina, it was a conscious decision that I wasn't going to date anybody until I got perfectly content with my number one. And then what happened, you might want to say, what was the rest of the story? The rest of the story was after I graduated from the University of South Carolina, I came to Duke and I met my wife at Duke University the very first day of classes. And I met her in the bookstore. And um, I, I can't stand that bookstore. I spent way too much money in that bookstore. But the one reason I'm very, very grateful for that bookstore is because there I met my wife. And I met her the very first day. And I invited her to go to a Durham Bulls baseball game with a group of us that very night. And uh, there was about 20 of us, and it wasn't a date. It was just we're going to go to a baseball game together. So we went to the Durham Bulls baseball game, and we sat down, and I was already interested in her. And we sat down, and lo and behold, she was not sitting beside me. She was sitting way down there. Not cool. And there was this big pole, or I made it up to be. There was this big pole that was blocking me from seeing the picture. And I was a pitcher in baseball, so I, I made up this elaborate story that I can't see the pitcher very well. And so what do you say, guys? And I led 20 of us to change seats. So I get them up, and we move down, and we sit down in another section. And wouldn't you know it, I'm sitting beside Amy Lynn, right? Smooth operator. Enjoy the game that Friday night I asked her out on a date. And within about three or four months, I went down to Florida, where she's from, Tallahassee. Asked her father if I could have her hand in marriage. Her mother was there too. Asked her father and mother. He worked my butt off for two days straight. Made me build this horse fence around the horse pasture. 
two days straight. Guys, I was like, this is not the Old Testament, Mr. Cole. What are you doing? <laughs> Worked me to the bone. But eventually said, yes, I could have his wife's, his daughter's hand in marriage. We came back up to uh, Durham. And on a Friday night in January, January 6th, 1995, I took her in front of Duke Chapel. And I got down on my knee in the grass with Duke Chapel in the background. And I quoted verbatim Ephesians 5 from memory. And I asked her to marry me. Now, why did I do that? Because she was hot. (laughs) But not like you're thinking. She was hot for God. Don't get me wrong. I think she's beautiful. Love my wife. Beautiful. But, But I know it's all popular right now. Everybody talking about their wife being smoking hot. Whatever. My wife was hot for God. And in Revelation, the Bible says this. Look at this powerful verse. You are neither cold or hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are what? What? what, what? Lukewarm. I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You ever, you ever framed that verse around dating and marriage? What the Bible is saying, listen guys, some of you need to hear this. The Bible is saying that God is disgusted with lukewarmness. The Bible is saying, I I can't emphasize enough what the original language is saying there, but the word of the Lord is saying that when you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, kind of straddling that religious fence, playing religious games, that it makes God want to vomit. Literally. And here's what I knew about my wife. I knew I had found a woman who got in a car by herself and drove up from Tallahassee, Florida to go to seminary. I knew I found in my wife from day one there was never an exception. I was number two. He was number one. And she was hot for God. Now, if you're a Christ follower, I can't emphasize to you enough, don't lower the standard. Don't compromise in who you date, in what you will do. Never, ever, ever compromise. Become hot for Christ, beloved. Become sold out. Become committed. Become the fulfillment of the vision of this church. Is that you would become a fully devoted follower of Jesus. I'm talking like all in. Unashamedly passionate about the gospel and living it out. Never ever compromise that. And don't you dare compromise, single person. Who you date. And who you will ultimately marry. Here's another area. Not only will we have high standards regarding who we will date. We will have high standards regarding what I will fill in the blank do. Write it in your outline. What I will do. Guys... It matters how we live as Christians. I heard one little amen. It matters how we live as Christians. Amen? Amen. 
I believe that, guys. I believe the church and the culture, in many, many cases, we have lost our bearings in terms of morality, in terms of what we do with our lives. I think this is key. I think we've lost it in the church. As I, as I speak around and visit contemporary churches, I'm seeing this, guys. I'm seeing it in the traditional church, but I'm seeing it in the contemporary church, too. We can, get, we can be all bad and cool with our lights and our screens and our smoke and all that kind of stuff. But let me tell you something. None of that matters unless we are becoming fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ and the gospel is changing my life. It matters what we do. It matters. Holiness still matters. Purity still matters. And you know what I realized last week? Guys, I owe you apology. Guys, men, you and me. I had a feeling this was the case, and I went home and listened to the message last week. Um, you know, I think sometimes I'm harder on men than I am women. I guess because I'm a man. And I want us men to lead the way. I want us men to, to lead. And I want us men to be godly. And I, I, I'm just a man, and I have a heart for men. But ladies, I might sometimes be too hard on the men and not hard enough on you. <laughs> he says, Amen. <laughs> Seriously. Hoo-yah! <laughs> from the retreat. Sometimes I might be more hard on the men than I am on the women. That all changes right now. For example, ladies, 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 it matters what we do. It matters how we dress. Ladies, some of us have, we, 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 we're blessed. <laughs> or as, as we read in scripture at the retreat, uh, what do they call it, um, um, cantaloupes or something like that. Um, so, yeah, you got to read the Song of Solomon. I tell you, you should read your Bibles. It's in there. It's in there. Um, uh, but, but women, sometimes you, you, you're like, you, you have a little something up here. You're proud of it. You push it up tight. You let it show cleavage. And you walk around, wah, 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 wah. And then you have the audacity to say to me, ladies, come on, you have the audacity to say to me or other people sometimes, I only always end up with guys who want one thing. <laughs> ladies, 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 listen. If you're fishing for men and you always end up with the wrong kind of man who has one thing on his mind, you might very well be using the wrong bait. If you can't say amen, say ouch. It matters. And ladies, we're visual. Men are visual. I got a sermon brewing inside of me. Been brewing for a year. I haven't written it yet, but it's all up in here. The title of the sermon is Sister Have Mercy. <laughs> Sister Have Mercy. I'm a man. And we're visual. We don't need all that stuff all up in our face. <laughs> I'm trying to be serious and you guys are making me laugh. Seriously. Seriously, guys. I might be old school, but I believe purity and holiness still matter. I believe this Bible is still the truth and the word of the Lord. And I believe even though the method by which we communicate all this stuff must Change the message never does. You say, where do you get that from? It's all over the scriptures, but let's look at one. First Peter 1. 
14 and 15, as the New, as the New Testament church was trying to unpack this, as obedient what? Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is, help me out, what? Be holy in all you do. Holiness matters. You say, what is holiness? Hagias. It's in your notes there on, on your teaching notes. Hagias. What does it mean, pastor? It means to be pure. It means to be blameless. It means to be righteous before Almighty God. In all that you say, all that you do, to be morally blameless. To be righteous. To be set apart. To be in the world, but not of the world. To be different. And here's what's really cool with this, guys. Once you start to get this, and once you live this out, single person, if you live this out, this will, this will be what will happen to you. One day you'll have a bunch of little biscuit snatchers running around like we do. If God's willing. And, and, and the biscuit snatchers will grow up and they'll get a little older. And before long, they'll reach like teenage years, which I just had my first inner teenage years. God, help me. And not only is she entering the teenage years, she's a girl. God, help me more. She's in what they call tweens. Whatever. <laughs> but sooner or later, they'll start thinking about these things. And as you start to parent them, they'll start to ask you, as she has kind of done with us, kind of around the back door, well, um, like... How did y'all handle this? And there's nothing that feels better than to be able to say to your child, as Amy Lynn and I can, we were so in love with one another, but we didn't have sex before marriage. And when you can say that to your... Now, I don't, want to be, I don't want to be facetious. You all know my story. I blew it before Christ. I blew it. But when I came to know Christ, I asked God to forgive me of that, and I asked God to restore some of that virginity. And though I'm not making the ludicrous claim that He can restore virginity, He can restore certain parts of it. And I waited until I married my wife. And on that honeymoon night, we were able to celebrate the, the sexuality, the spirituality of sexuality that God intends for His people. And to be able to look at your children and say, it mattered what we did, and we honored one another, is one of the greatest blessings for your life, single people. And some of you are looking at me like, I'm not smoking anything. I'm trusting a book that I believe is inspired and is nothing less than the word of the Lord. God calls us to holiness. Let's, let's play a game, little game, little game here. Okay, um, I'm, I'm going to share something with you, and I want you to vote appropriate or inappropriate. Okay, appropriate or inappropriate. And don't go jumping to the conclusion. They were yelling at me in the first service. Um, okay, so after this, after this service, right, I'm out in the rotunda, and this cute young woman comes up to me, and she goes, oh, Pastor Benjamin, you're at the church. I love the message. I really, really love it. And I love your shirt, and I love the bed on the stage, and it's just awesome. And, and I said, you know, honey, um, Amy Lynn's out of town. 
why don't you come over to my house tonight? And I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll take you up to my closet and I'll show you a lot of other shirts. And honey, and honey, you know that bed that's on that stage? That happens to be our bed, honey. I'll tell you what, I'll take you, I'll, I'll explain the rest when you come on over. She shows up at 5 o'clock. I take her upstairs and I said, you know, I told you about the bed thing. Let me show you the makeshift bed that we're sleeping on during this series. Appropriate or inappropriate? Really? You think so? Okay, well then, um, let, let's just say we didn't get in the bed, because I didn't finish her story. You know where that story want, went. Let's just say that, that she came over, I invited her over, but you know what? We didn't have any sex. The sex was out of the equation. But instead, we decided to play some naked twister. You know, right hand on green, left leg on yellow, little naked twister. Appropriate or inappropriate? What do you say? Really? Really? I mean, you guys are a tough audience, man. All right, forget that then. Say so we kept our clothes on, but we decided here's what we're going to do. We're just going to, we're going to just kiss. We're going, to, we're going to swap saliva. Appropriate and inappropriate. All right, what, what about this one? What would you say if, if like I had her over and we didn't do any of that, but we just cuddled? Like two spoons laying together. We just cuddled. Really? By the way, it's like I like to cuddle. And, and my wife, she just... I know i got five kids. It's not because of me. She just won't leave me alone. It, it, it really hurts my feelings sometimes. I'm like, honey, let's just cuddle tonight. Let's just cuddle. And she, she won't have anything to do with it. I mean, pray for us. It's not good. You believe that? i got some oceanfront property I'll sell you down in Arizona. So, so, you, so you think, well, what about this? Well, just forget all that. What about I just invite her over to the house tonight and uh, we just sat on the couch and watched a movie together? Really? Man, you guys are a tough audience. But you're a smart audience. But here's my question. Why would you look at me when I share that scenario? Why would you look at me and declare that is inappropriate for a marriage man and yet many of you would do the same things as unmarried people and think that it's appropriate? Like Hebrews 13.4 says, the marriage bed should be honored by all. The marriage bed should be kept pure and honored by all. Again, the question, why would some of you say all of those scenarios are inappropriate for me as a married man, and they are, and yet you would buy into the cultural notions that in singleness and dating, come on, come on, come on, that those things are appropriate. Now, am I saying that you shouldn't kiss when you're dating a single person? Probably not. I'm not probably saying that. But I'm saying you should think very carefully about if you kiss. And if you, like some people I know, take the standard that we're even going to save that for marriage. That's awesome. And if you say, well, maybe not, I'm going to maybe do that. But you better think about how you're going to do that. What I'm saying to you is this. We need to save the intimacies and the blessing of marriage for marriage. If you're taking notes, write this down. I will wait until marriage to share the intimate blessings of marriage. 
Instead of doing all the intimate blessings of marriage outside of marriage, breaking up, practicing divorce, before long getting married, having already done all that, bought the t-shirt, been there, done that, and you're still warmed up to divorce because you've been practicing it all along as you've had these broken, broken relationships across the landscape of your life. I will wait until marriage, single person, divorced person, parents teach your children this, to share the intimate blessings of marriage. Higher standard number three. Higher standard number three. I will have a higher standard regarding what I will expect. What I will expect. Here's what I know about speaking to a crowd this size. Some of you are here. Well, let me back up and talk to the single person first. Single person, some of some of you are here and you you've you've dropped your expectations. And when you drop your expectations, you inevitably drop your standards and you compromise. And some of you are here, like I said, and you're expecting that you can change that person. It won't happen. Drop him now, drop her now, and save yourself a lot of heartache. Do not compromise the standard of being engaged, dating, and ultimately married to a godly person who loves Jesus. I didn't say go to church. Who actually loves Jesus. They come to church because they love Jesus, not because you drug them there. So you can't expect that you're going to change them. And the flip side of that is you can expect that God will send you the right person. You can. And you should. It's okay to expect that. Here's my life verse. I know I probably quote this verse to you probably more than any other along with Philippians 4.13. But the verse, the verse is this, guys. He can do immeasurably more. It's Ephesians 3.20. To him who is able to what? Do immeasurably more than we can what? Ask or imagine. God is a big God. Amen? And God can do big things. Amen? So single person, expect great things from God. Now to the married people. Married person, right here, you. What I know in speaking to a crowd this size is that some of you are sitting here And your marriage is in trouble. Your marriage is on the ropes. You're no longer intimate with your spouse. You're no longer passionate with your spouse. You no longer communicate with your spouse. And what you say to me when I hear your story sometimes, or what you say to Mike and Fran when they're engaged with you in some marriage counseling, you sometimes say these things. Well, our marriage is far too gone. We could never get back where we used to be. It's, it's over. God can't save our marriage. Can I say to you, with all the sensitivity that I can, but with all the boldness that I can, that is a huge insult to God. That is a huge insult to say, God God could never even save our marriage. 
Beloved, with God all things are possible. With God all things are possible. What an insult to Almighty God when we believe that our marriage is done, it's over, and we could never have what we used to have. If you want something that you once had, last note principle, I want you to just write down if you will. You'll see it on the screen. If you want something that you once had, you must do something that you once did. Why did you marry that person? Because you loved that person. Why, did, why was marriage good in the early days? Because you communicated. Why did you have good sex in the early days? Because you worked at it. Why were you intimate? Because you dated. Remember those times? Remember those times before you got married, before you stood at the altar and you said, I do? What happens is, as engaged people, we're pursuing our spouse. We're pursuing them. We're pursuing them. But then we say, I do, and we think, I've done. And it's over, and I don't need to pursue her anymore. And she doesn't need to pursue me anymore. If you want what you once had... You must do what you once did. That means intentionality in the time that we spend together. Intentionality in the communications that we have. Intentionality in our sexuality. Intentionality in terms of our dating. You say, well, what happened, Pastor? Why did, why did we once have it and, and now we don't? You're not bad. Here's what happened. Life. Life happens. Sin happens. Children happen. And if you haven't figured this out yet, children can be the worst thing in the world for your marriage if you're not careful. They're blessings from God. Amen? Amen. But they want to be the center of your home. They will, have you ever noticed how you, when you're going to hug them, your wife and them, they squirm up in there? I mean, they, they, and that's beautiful. I mean, they need that. They want that. I mean, love your kids extravagantly, but remind them regularly with trips away, with attending marriage retreats, with date nights weekly. Remind them, hey, you little biscuit snatcher, the world doesn't revolve around you. I don't want you to go. Well, deal with it. Get back inside with the sitter. I love your mama, and I'm taking her out on a date. So put that in your little pipe and smoke it. <laughs> Sometimes just parenting stuff just comes out. I mean, that's just that's that's my parenting one on one. And by the way, I believe it. Like I'm glad it came out. Get your honey back up in the house. We'll be home when you wake up. We'll be there. And we'll play some ball together. But I love your mother. Here you go, little youngin. He's one, Jesus. My wife is two. And you are three, so deal with it. And they whine and you think, you know, the world's coming to an end and they weep and they gnash their teeth and they wail all over the ground. It is the best thing in the world for them. The greatest gift. Oh, I'm about to preach a whole nother sermon. I better watch the clock. The greatest gift you can ever give your child or your children 
is a godly marriage. Period. They might wail and cry and moan and groan. Let me tell you something. Children get security from knowing that mom and dad have a rock-solid relationship in Christ. So I want to invite you to recalibrate all of this in your life. Mark Gunger, amazing speaker at the marriage retreat this weekend. Never laughed so hard. My face is still sore from laughing, but great, great wisdom. He shared a story how, and I could relate, like I could apply this same story to my life because it's happened with my kids. He shared how he, he loves to play video games, and I don't play video games really much at all, um, but my kids do, and then every now and then they get me in on we. I don't play because I'm not good at them, by the way. Um, but they get me in there sometimes, and Mark was talking about how he was playing the, the video game, you know, and it's got the little stick and all that kind of stuff, and the little kid comes up to him and says, hey, Dad, can I play? He says, sure, and he gives dad a, a stick. And, but then he, he did what any godly daddy would do. He unplugged the kid's stick. <laughs> and though he kept playing for a while, and he did that whole thing. But then before long, his kid says, oh, dad, dad, I think there's something wrong with my game stick. And the dad goes, oh, well, look, it's, it's unplugged, lo and behold. And he plugged it back in, and the months go on. And before long, the kid starts beating his dad. This has happened to me. I mean, my kids wear me out on weed. And they love it. They take no mercy. Well, when they started wearing me out, we just got we last Christmas. When they start wearing me out, I had the tendency, what I wanted to do, like Mark shared that he wanted to do, he wanted to actually go and push the reset button. Like, I confess that. My boys are wearing me out. Anna Grace is killing me. And I want to start all over. Reset. Some of you need to push reset today. Some of you single people, you've blown it. And you need to push reset. You haven't blown it because you're necessarily bad. You've blown it like the rest of us, me included. And you need to push reset. Some of you are married here today and you're sitting beside your spouse, but you really don't feel like y'all are one anymore. You need to push reset. You need to come under the authority of Scripture and let God's Word shape you. You need to have higher standards on who we will date, what we will do, and what we will expect our God to do. And if you will do that, that's what I've been praying for you. If you'll let this series shape you and let this series cause you to reset your marriage and reset your relationships and your dating relationships and your, your divorced recovering relationships, if you'll just push reset and say enough is enough. I no longer want to go the way of the world. I can see where that's going. Count me out, baby. I'm going to apply and obey Scripture in my life. And here's what I can tell you without a doubt. Our God is faithful. And He will bless you. He will bless you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Father, we give you thanks for this day. Lord, I thank you for your word. What I love most about 
the Bible, God, is that you instruct, you teach. You do not leave us as orphaned children. You give us guidance. You give us direction. You gave us truth when you inspired men and women to be a part of this biblical narrative. And you came forth and you inspired the word of the Lord. And Father, I pray that even though this message will often on this pulpit will sound countercultural, counterintuitive, Father, I thank you that what we are found, what we are finding, is that this word is truth. And that the way in which we tap into the blessings of God is when we trust and obey the principles of God. Father, I pray for every single, single person here today, God, I pray that you would bless them. I pray that they would just in this moment push Paul's reset, reset their dating life, their sexual life, reset what they expect from you and in you. Father, I pray for every single marriage here today, every single married marriage person or couple that's watching this via the Internet. Father, I pray for every single married person over in the Garner community of faith. God, I pray that together we as a church would humble ourselves and come before you and submit to the authority of your word that speaks so clearly about this very, very tricky subject. Father, I know that in a, in a crowd like this, that there are people here, God, who need healing. They need to reset their lives, their marriages, their parenting, their dating. Father, would you allow us to do that? And would you come into our lives and heal those areas that we need healing? We worship you now. In spirit, and in truth, and in humble submission to the word of the Lord. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.